0: So welcome, everyone, to another episode of Real Estate Mogul MD. My name is Bob Bosick. I'm a retired C-suite executive, and I have the privilege of speaking with medical professionals, high-income earners, and investors. We're here today to share the real-world journeys along with the to-dos and, more importantly, the not-to-dos. And I have the pleasure of having today uh, Dr. Rakesh Shah. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. All right. Very good. Um, it's a pleasure to have you here, um, uh, speaking with our, uh, and allowing our listeners to hear. Um, you're coming from the Philadelphia area. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Well, usually a doctor, I like to just start out at the beginning, um, of where it all started. When did you decide that you, um, how old were you when you decided you wanted to be involved in medicine?
1: I gotta say probably six or seven or something, something super young. My grandfather was actually a physician back in India, and I saw some of the wonderful things that he did. Uh, I lived with him till I was about seven years old. And then when I came to the States, uh, I had an uncle that I looked up to who was a cardiologist and um, uh, the bug never quite left. Um, and then I kept pursuing this. But as I grew older, you know, you start thinking about just like in business, what you start creating backup plans for yourself. And so, uh, when I went for undergrad, I said, yeah, well, I'm not going to follow the traditional route and go down the path of maybe a bio major, a chem major, or something along those lines. I was afraid, what if I didn't get into med school? What was my backup plan? So I majored in biomedical electrical engineering. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the interesting piece there is I can honestly say I'm a college dropout. <laughs> and how's that? <laughs> Because I do not have a bachelor's degree. Oh, by really? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably one of the few in the country that actually That's has an MBA. Fascinating. And an MBA. And how, an MBA.
0: You, and yeah. how, how where, where, what point did you stop uh,
1: with that? Yeah, so by the end of my second year of undergrad, I had enough credits amassed where, and I'd done all of my prerequisite courses because I needed the biology and the physiology and so forth for. Uh, biomedical electrical. And at the same time, I needed some of that for my pre-med and a few more other uh, prerequisites. So I completed everything that I needed within the first two years. And I, I was almost close to 90 credits by the end of my second year of undergrad. And I said, wow, wait a minute. I completed all of my prerequisites. Why not take my MCATs early? They're good for five years. So I took them early. That's the medical college admission test. Yep. Did well enough on it. And so then I started looking at the rule book. And back then it was a book that was about two inches or maybe two and a half inches thick. Um, and I came across a line which said, you only need to complete 90 credits to apply to med school. Most med schools didn't honor that. they Most of them wanted a uh, bachelor's degree anyway. Right. So uh, there were four colleges that I had applied to and I got into three of them. I was pretty proud of myself. Of course, my counselor, uh, uh, didn't know how to guide me and tried to dissuade me from applying. I said, but I'm an engineering major. I'm, you know, I've got a solid GPA. I've uh, completed everything. I've done well on my MCATs. Why shouldn't I apply? You know, so I challenged the system and sure enough, got in. And the rest is history.
0: That's amazing. Where did you go to medical school? Uh, Temple University
1: in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew right. up in Philly. Right.
0: And uh, where were you Where were you getting your undergrad at when you decided you were going to go down this path? I'll give you one guess, Temple. <laughs> you were? <laughs> Somebody got you there. Very good. Excellent. That's interesting. How long have you, uh, so that from there, uh, you went into uh, residency?
1: Correct. So I did my internal medicine residency in car, um, at Temple also, and also my cardiology and interventional cardiology at Temple University. You know, the programs were just absolutely phenomenal. So, um, I was being offered the opportunity to just continue onwards and said, sure, why not?
0: That's pretty unusual. I, you know, normally yeah. the path that I hear is people jumping around after medical school to do a residency and then somewhere else for fellowship and then someone else for a practice, et cetera. So.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. And I think there is a lot of value to that. I look back and I stayed at the same institution and I just couldn't help staying there because it was, it's a world class institution. Up. And it all just the stars kind of lined up. But if you really, really think about it, and actually, the funny thing is, two of my colleagues, um, who were also in fellowship with me, had done the same exact thing. We were in med school together, we were in uh, residency and fellowship together as well. So that is a very unusual path. But back then, it was one of the top tier programs in the country and very much sought after. So if you had the opportunity, why wouldn't you stay? Absolutely. But but when you look back, you know, by jumping around, I think this may be, this goes for some of your younger listeners who might be going through a school or whatnot is, it's okay to jump around a little bit because you start to see a different perspective in things. And that to make somebody a more worldly individual, I think there's value to that.
0: I agree with you. That's a, that's a, an opinion that is changing in the, in the business world as well. You know, when I was growing up, it was, and you know, the generations before me was, um, it was seen as a positive thing when you stayed at a, at a, at a particular workplace Mm -hmm. for 10 years or an entire career, 20 years. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I grew up where, you know, I've, I've essentially worked for two, if not three places, my whole career and, you know, 10 years or more at a time. But now you know, when someone looks at a resume from a business perspective, they're like, "Hmm, why haven't they had other, uh, uh, you know, uh, things that they've seen and done and 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 tried?" And they kind of are suspicious about why did you stay at that place for so long. So yeah, that's it's a good perspective.
1: What yeah, and and part of it, like you said, it's part of it is loyalty to the organization, and mm-hmm. the other part is uh, just saying, you know, what it, it was a different lifetime back then, right? Yeah. And but because of greater connectivity, you can afford to move around and start yes. to see the rest of the world and still be in touch with friends and family.
0: How many um you said you're probably one of only a few. You probably might know actually, how many people um have <laughs> actually become medical doctors um in the last 10 years that you think or 20 years that didn't have a bachelor's?
1: I'm gonna probably say zero zero, So you're one of literally I, I, yeah, I'd be surprised. I mean, every time uh, one of my colleagues learns that I don't have a bachelor's, they they, they just do a double take. and like, What? And we've never heard that before. So that's
0: amazing. That's very that is very cool <laughs> to hear that story. So why was a do- becoming a doctor important to you? But, you know, and, you know, was it it was it about how it made you feel helping people or or
1: what, what, I think what? it was a little bit of everything. Right. Um Let's break it up into several different aspects. First, my parents came to the States. They had a, my dad had a very nice job. He was an accountant in India and he came to the States for a reason to give me an opportunity at life, right? Much more so than what India may have held back in the seventies, eighties and nineties. Right. Um, so it was on me to achieve something for myself as well. And also to be able to give back to them and say, yeah, you know what? You made a sacrifice. You moved halfway around the world for me. Who am I to deny you some return on that? Mm -hmm. And the best return that a son or a child or or daughter can give their parent is becoming something. Right. Right? Doing well. Doing well in life. It doesn't matter what you do, but doing something well. Right. And, you know, medicine was something that I was interested in. Like I said, I had two really key role models and growing up. Um, So that was another piece. Next, I uh, saw how our primary care physicians took care of us and uh, it was something meaningful. So there was yet another reason to do this. And lastly, I had the aptitude for it. So yeah. why not? And yeah. it was something that I absolutely enjoy. And in And it also fell in line with my career choices as an engineer also, or an educational choices as an engineer. Engineering teaches you how to think in a certain way. Medicine, especially in cardiology, you have to learn concepts and apply them. And so it all kind of blended together.
0: Mm -hmm. Very nice. Um, And so how old were you when you graduated? 24, 23, 25? From med
1: school? From med school? Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, somewhere around 24.
0: Yeah. So you must have been one of the youngest residents as well. I was. (laughs) Very interesting. So what was the biggest challenge you have faced and what have you learned from it across this, you know, across that uh, experience?
1: Wow. Uh, That's a loaded question. I think, you know, seeing medicine where it was, where we are today um, and the challenges that it holds, not only from Uh, being pulled in multiple directions simultaneously, being available for your patients, but then also seeing how the insurance world is interacting and how the shortages uh, currently, especially when it comes to the number of physicians, the number of nurses will impact us moving forward. I think those are continuous challenges that I think about it. and so I actually decided to do something about it recently tell tell us what oh. so um, right before the start of the pandemic actually from 2016 to 2018 um, I was flying back and forth to the UK getting my MBA at Oxford mm-hmm. and one of my classmates said Rakesh if I ha- if my mom has chest pain what do I do and I tongue-in-cheek replied well you call 911, you get her to the emergency room. She needs an EKG. But it was this follow up question that really hit me hard, which was, you know, my dad died at a young age of heart disease. Um, I just want to know if my mom's chest pain is real. I travel all over the world. And at that very moment, I realized I don't worry about my parents because they live 10 minutes from my institution, whether I'm working there or I'm on, I'm a day off or I'm on holiday somewhere. It's one phone call and they'll have numerous people looking out for them, right? Right. So why doesn't everybody else have the same level of security for their loved ones? Mm-hmm. So I decided to do something about it. As soon as I finished my MBA, I started my company um, and I embarked on developing a mobile EKG platform, not what you see currently advertised on TV. We're talking about if you've had an EKG, you realize that jumble of wires that takes five to seven minutes to put on another 30 seconds to then acquire the EKG signal, something of that nature that provides the same level of information, but you as a layperson could do this on yourself. Gotcha. Okay. And so one of the biggest needs that I identified is that our patients need a better way of connecting with their cardiologist, you know, patients who see us. So. We see a lot of medication errors. We see patients stopping their medications without realizing why they're stopping it. So how about we engage with them on an ongoing basis? What if we had the patients do their own EKG uh, multiple times a year and use that? There's a lot of data coming out now about a large enough data set with the EKGs that can actually help predict future cardiac events, whether it's a heart attack, a fib, or Valvular heart problems, and with so our your
0: engineering degree to use, or your engineering you background,
1: yeah, engineering background as I call it, yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so started developing that, and uh, we're really, and then of course with the pandemic hitting, um, I had to put everything on hold. So last year, I actually really started raising funds, uh, looking for investors and so forth, and uh, we're probably about eighteen months away from having this product on on the market. Very but cool. But that really will go towards not only improving the health of our citizens, but also I like to think of it as democratizing access to healthcare. Yes. Rural America, where patients may have to drive for hours. Right. Or they don't even have access to a cardiologist in their city or town. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And
1: or the inner city population where they're using the ER as their go-to point. Yes. What if we could connect these people with Uh, professionals, people that are going to be taking care of them, Mm -hmm. but really more in a timely fashion so that when they have their episode of chest pain, when they have their episode of discomfort, they can reliably send signals over and information over to their cardiologist for further guidance in a timely fashion. Unfortunately, what happens today is 65% of the patients with any type of chest discomfort wait four to six hours or longer. And if this was a heart attack, 80% 80% of the damage is done within the first 60 minutes of symptom onset. Wow. Okay.
0: So it's interesting. That'll be helpful. You know, I, I, I debate uh, back and forth when we t- think about rural America or, or just rural areas across the world mm-hmm. um, about how, how cool it is for telemedicine, you know, that people can have access, but then you, um, the counter to that is people, I think, become overly dependent upon it. And I don't think that you get the same level of care necessarily, um, and, and get a, a physician to see all of you when you walk into a, into a, a room, um, and have the mm-hmm. opportunity to be in person. So, you know, there's these, you know, pluses and minuses, but this certainly would help, um, in just a variety of ways.
1: Exactly. It's not a substitute for that live visit, but boy, yeah. in an urgent situation, uh, and to help with chronic management. Yeah, it's a great fill in during that time period to really get some professional guidance with actionable data. Right. Would it, That's be it possible.
0: Missing. It'd be interesting also as for for the physician. Would you ever wanted to design it in such a way where you had your high risk um, patients that were utilizing this that there were some parameters that when it hit the parameters that you would automatically be notified also. So that even if that person is willing to sit there for four to six hours, you're seeing the data and calling them and going, no, 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 no. You need to get going. Or is that, is that something down the road?
1: We'll have to figure that one out a little bit further, but what we are going to do is when the patient has symptoms and they put the system on, right. When they apply, m heart onto themselves and they start acquiring the signals in about three years we anticipate being able to integrate in machine learning and really creating a personalized output specifically geared towards uh hey let's automate the criticals so those patients don't even have to wait for a callback from their doc. Right. Go, yeah. go go this when, when that but hits, also when call that alarm goes
0: it's time to get
1: call 911. Don't go and get in your car as most people do today because they don't want to spend the ambulance fees. I, I get it, right? Because what if it's not? And then I'm out $300, maybe more. Right. Um, but this gives you a good reason to at least justify spending for Absolutely. an ambulance. And that's pretty.
0: That's, it's very cool that you, you're creating that. What is, you know, that's probably, if I ask this next question, uh, would probably fall in here somewhere. But What is your greatest achievement or what is the biggest opportunity that you see and uh, what are you learning from it or what have you learned from it?
1: Wow. Um, What is the greatest achievement? I hope my greatest achievement, yes, is yet to come. Good. Good answer. Right. Uh, I have a underlying philosophy. Leave leave this world a little bit better than where you first found it. That's a nice. And. (laughs) And in that situation, I think what I'd like to leave this world with is a legacy of Emhart.
0: Very nice. Very nice. If you could go back in time and talk to the 20-year-old version of yourself,
1: what would you tell yourself? Persevere. Follow your dream. Follow your ideas. Who's a listener? Um, who Who is someone
0: that our listeners may not know, but they should know?
1: Who is someone that our listeners may not know but should know? going to say, my dad. Yeah. Yep.
0: He's your mentor, and your in uh, the wise, the wise sage in your life, huh?
1: The inspiration. Yeah. It, the The one who has given selflessly mm-hmm. to many, especially to a couple of people whom I know personally, and when he had nothing he still made it a point to look out for them. And I looked to that and said, wow, no matter how hard it may get, you can still help others and in the end still come out okay.
0: Uh, I bet you your dad would be uh, in tears if he could hear you speak uh, if you haven't said that to him, but I'm sure you have. I'm getting a little teary-eyed thinking about it. So, yes, that's, that's so, so sweet and so nice. So you have um so let's shift gears for a second sure. what, what with all the years um that you've invested to build your specific skills and knowledge in medicine you know what it doesn't meet, leave you much time maybe uh to invest in your huge financial future what what are things that you do what are some ways you're taking control of that
1: yeah i mean you know obviously we i'm still looking at uh, in the stock market. I've invested in different types of funds, and still interested in the venture capital world as well. Um, but also try to diversify by investing in various properties as well, similar to you. Yeah, um, it, it's just comes down to really trying to diversify And obviously you have different types of income streams coming in, um, and just prepare yourself for retirement for whenever that may be.
0: Very good. Um... Do you, so do you, uh, do you own, uh, are you working as a hospitalist or do you have a practice separate from the hospital?
1: Uh, Neither actually. I'm employed by a large institution. um, And so I work as a full time cardiologist. You know, earlier you asked me what are, what's one of the biggest challenges that you've faced? I I underwent urgent back surgery a number of years ago. I used to be what's called an interventional cardiologist. In other words, a physician or a cardiologist who went in and put in stents uh, if patients were having heart attacks or if they had blocked arteries. But right. I did it just about anywhere in the body and did extremely complex cases. Unfortunately, part of the uh, job hazard is it does increase your risk of bodily injury. It increases your risk of developing cancer or specifically in this case, spinal issues. And I underwent urgent back surgery and within six months I had to pull out of the cath lab at that point, you know, uh, it could have been very depressing, especially when you're functioning at at an extremely high level. However, you know, the challenge is how do you prevent yourself from getting depressed? How do you reinvent yourself? And that's where making that backup plan really comes in handy, which is said, well, that day is going to come where I need to come out of the lab, I need to transition to something else. And so I was fully prepared and ready to go. And I think that's why when you ask a question about challenges, yeah, we all have challenges. It's but it's really a question of how we handle them, which then leads to how do we handle stress, right? So, all of that kind of morphs and ties in together.
0: Absolutely. What is the uh, the name of your company that you're getting um, off the ground uh, here? Uh,
1: the company's name is Doctors Link D R S period L I N Q. Okay.
0: And if uh, our listeners uh, wanted to uh, reach out or touch base with you, is there a way to contact
1: you? Oh, by all means, please look on our website, www.drslinq.com. Uh, okay. And then uh, there's an email page on there as well. And they can immediately uh, send me an email and I'll gladly get in touch with them. Very um, good. Would love to have people on this journey.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so am I to understand then because of the back issues that you're not um, practicing as a cardiologist? or
1: No, I'm practicing as a general cardiologist. So I see patients cardio. in the office, I round in the hospital, um, and that's what I do on a full-time basis. Gotcha. Um, and then as things progress, I'll probably back off on the uh, clinical side. And what
0: causes the back discomfort for you as the physician doing that? Was it just the standing
1: yeah, the standing. And then when you're in the cath lab, you have to wear a leaded uh, vest and apron, which can weigh 15 to 20 pounds. Back when I first started, it was probably more than that. Um, And then it's the standing, the prolonged cases that I was doing. And it was just f- f- focusing the pressure on my L5 S1 area. And It's, that it's it.
0: shocking that... um you know, so much, uh, sometimes I could dis- describe medicine as much as the advances have taken place. There's still some medieval <laughs> ways that uh, that medicine is practiced in my estimation. And for a position, <laughs> I'm shocked that there's not something that, um, that someone hasn't designed chairs or, uh, you know, something that's more civilized for you so that it doesn't cost you <laughs>
1: It would be nice. Actually, it's interesting. Uh, they are designing uh, a robotic cath labs. So uh-huh. the physician can actually sit in a corner somewhere and manipulate this robot and they would do the, the robot would actually do the procedure on your behalf, essentially, but you're guiding the robot.
0: I, I was actually thinking about that a few minutes ago. And when I, when we were talking, especially with your background, I was curious if you had done anything like that with, you know, robotic medicine and have you ever, have you ever uh, engaged
1: in that? No, but I think that would be really cool too.
0: It would be very, very interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're getting, well, you get the precision of that, of that robot, um, which is, you know, doesn't get much better probably, but, uh, the wisdom of the physician, wherever they are in the world, where do they primarily focus these, these
1: robotics? Um, are they in the big cities? Yeah, more or less. I would think so. I mean, these are expensive, uh, devices right now. They use robotics in surgery, um, for urologic surgery, certain gynecologic surgeries, certain, uh, um, abdominal surgeries and so forth. Uh, but in the cardiac cath lab, I know there was one company that's been developing it and maybe ready to go full steam ahead, but that may still take a little bit of time. Gotcha. Because there's nothing quite the same as the feel of your hands.
0: Yeah, no, I understood. Yeah, you, you I I understand the, the I do, I get that. Um, there's no substitute for that. Uh, the human element is it, it is always required. Um, and there's something missing when then that when that's not there. Uh so Dr. Rakesh, uh, uh, am I saying it right, Rakesh. 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 Um, thank you very much. It was a very interesting discussion this morning with you. Um, the listeners, I'm sure, will be as uh, fascinated and interested in your story. What a unique story. Um, what a, a an inspirational story, truly. Um, and thank you very much for taking time and uh, allowing the listeners to know where to where to find you. And I'm wishing you the very best on this uh, this new venture that you're um, going forth on. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out.
0: You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure.